0: Good, I would like to request your kind attention for a few thoughts. Um, in line with the vision and structure of this retreat, I um, pick up on some of the questions that came up in groups or questions I have fielded from from you um, and would like uh, uh, to do my best to help you engage with the practices suggested, um, connect with them or get a clarity on your own process. If I do not respond to your uh, carefully crafted note, then this may mean any number of things. Mm. Um, a, I cr- possibly <laughs> have not been able to re-decipher your handwriting. <laughs> or uh I deemed the question to be uh, more suited in another context either an individual interview or um maybe a later evening so please do not uh, take this as a value judgment um there is so much one can do in one little talk yeah um so one of the things i picked up on was the uh, notion of embodiment uh, the term Uh, has been used by Analayo and uh, a number of us are using this term because it encapsulates the spirit of uh, something we feel is deeply um, spoken of and uh, addressed in uh, the Satipatthana teachings not in the language of psychology. Uh, The term embodiment is saturated, it um, comes from the philosophical tradition uh, the man I actually could find being most responsible for it is a French guy called Michel Ponti, who uh, had some profound insights in the nature of uh, how we, how cognition takes place. As you will be aware, there have been models how cognition and consciousness take place, and they are all strongly influenced by. Continental philosophy and the split between mind and matter, which is the bane of Western uh, thinking for more than two millennia, and we're still not quite uh, beyond it. But uh, things start to improve, and one powerful insight this uh, man had was that basically the experience of body is something we uh, engage with as an empirical outer quality. Yeah? The body is something we can see, it is something we can touch, it is something sometimes we can smell, yeah? uh, we can uh, see behavior of bodies, both our own bodies and other bodies. So there is a, an outer dimension to this. The suttas bear that quite nicely out. You know, The sequence of Ajatta internally and bahidda externally uh, maps quite nicely on this notion. And we experience body also from inside. So we have an outer experience of body as it moves and behaves and is empirically through our outer senses, our extraception, if you want to be specific, accessible. But then we also experience body from inside as a strange climate of cognition, as a a place where things are not empirical, they are phenomenological, they are coming across in highly personal subjective ways. We cannot easily verif- verify them with uh, external rational criteria. That's a big shift in the way of thinking how cognition takes place. Basically, the shift, that's how the cognitive sciences have taken up that term, means that there is no cognition without physical embedment. You yeah, know, it's physically embedded. When we think, we think with a, a physical apparatus as much as with a brain. Yeah. Uh, the central statement of, of, of Melo Ponti was, um, I think, quite recognizably parallel to what Beko said last night, uh, referring to our, um, how we are embedded in uh, a biosphere, how we are embedded and related to an environment Which is most notably obvious in the way with our environmental uh, crisis we're in. Uh, We cannot live without that environment. And Melo Ponti put it like this the human being, the human body is in the world as the heart is in the body. So the mutuality of that relationship. So when we speak of embodied awareness, that means that we actually have access to both what the body does outside, postures it has. Satipatthana teachings, this would be the Iriyapattah, the four postures and the orientation of this body in space, its energetic tone, its alignment to gravity and all this. And the body as a medium, as a milieu of experience of cognition. When we experience the world via cognition, This happens in an embodied way. We cannot have a world without having a somatic component. There's a few uh, lofty creatures in the Buddhist cosmology, (coughs) asanyasattas who uh, don't have minds, and there's a few lofty places where you don't have uh, coarse material or even fine material experience anymore, but for the majority of mundane experience, this holds true. When we conceive the world, when we conceive ourselves, when we perceive the world, there's a, some interesting distinctions there, then we do that in an embodied somatic way. That has quite a number of implications. One of them is that your perceptions are always uh, perceptions that they're always situational. A plate of spaghetti looks very different if you're hungry or if you're not. You know? If you're the dishwasher, the same plate of spaghetti looks the different to you than if you're the hungry guy who has just made it in the line up to the spaghetti plate. So your perception of that food will be different depending on your situation. This is a crucial statement, and it's absolutely there in the early Buddhist text. Uh, I see it there in a particular uh, phraseology which has to do with uh, the grammar of uh, form the format of kaya, kaya nupassi, to perceive uh, the body in the body, which is a, an awkward construction and in some way tells me that the Buddha had some understanding of dissociation. Although he doesn't use this term, this brings us to the opposite of embodiment. So what is the opposite of embodiment? It's okay, disembodiment, but actually more specifically, it's the process of dissociation. We split off the capacity of the mind to go away from its embodied experience and be preoccupied with a mentalized, disembodied non-relationship to the somatic appendage that sits on the cushion, for example. So we, we dream off, we split off, we distract. Most of our moving away from the meditation object is a form of dissociation. We can dissociate out by just drifting or by just, whenever things get a little tight or a little edgy or a little unpleasant, we may just cut off and peel off and be gone. Or we may dissociate in, intensifying, intensifying, intensifying and lose the whole. Both are ways how we can lose ourselves. Both are ways of being disembodied in some form. Meditators are are prone to this kind of thing. Um, Just let me state that bluntly under my therapist hat. Meditators are people who believe in the power of introspective exercises. In other words, by actually addressing some form of how they attend to the world, uh, makes a major difference to them. They know that. That's why they're here. You may have noticed there's plenty of people who are not here. Yeah, there's some pre-selection going on with meditation retreats. So it's important that meditators learn to identify both embodiment and dissociation. One of the very unfruitful ways to meditate, and believe me, I've, uh, I've plenty experience in this, uh, is dissociating and turning your psychological dissociative habit into a spiritual practice, quote unquote. This exercise is to be more here, not to be more gone. Yeah. This exercise is to help us hold more reality, not be more successful in splitting off a reality we don't like or that doesn't conform to our expectations or that we feel we're not quite happy with or we feel slightly overwhelmed by. And the only way we can cope with it is by doing some palliative meditation practice in splitting off. This body exercises is the most powerful antidote I see in the Satipatthana teachings to help us actually arrive here and land here. The starkness of these exercises uh, must must be obvious to you. and the resistance of the mind to actually acknowledge things like impersonality like the constitute nature of body, the uh, unattractiveness of most of what these bodies are actually uh, looking like if we if we take care to look closely enough. Yeah. So these are important points. Uh, don't take that word lightly. And um, think of this image: uh, our bodies living in the world as our hearts are living in our organisms. Yeah. That's a relationship of interdependence. You can't have an organism without the heart. You can't have a body. Without the world, so I, that's uh, I think uh, an important point. I would also like to request that you uh, contextualize some of the images the suttas are speaking in. Remember, these teachings come from a long time—fourth century BC, by uh, you know, which is a long time. If you think any literature that comes from that, say from a non-religious tradition, 4th century BC, that would be something like Aristophanes, Attic Comedy, uh, For those of you who are into such things. Half of the jokes in Lysistrata Strata are not just not funny anymore. You just simply don't get them anymore. You know? So things come from a long, long distance. And because they're from a long distance, uh, we actually need to do some work with these images. So say you come in here with your uh, animal activist uh, goggles on, yeah? and then you get presented in the first evening. This monk here cruelly ropes up poor animals, all six of them, and uh, lets them loose and uh, kind of uh, turns them loose on themselves. Yeah? And the next day it gets even worse. You know, Cows are being hit, and a little later, the cows are being actually butchered and carved up. So if you do look at these things with your animal rights activist mind, then you're not getting the image. You're not getting the picture. So I'm requesting from you that you actually willing, willingly engage with what these images try to tell you. They're not trying to uh, praise captivation of animals, violence towards animals, and you know murder of animals. That's not what they're doing. They're speaking in the terms of an agrarian society about phenomena of mind in a time when psychological language was not available. Psychological language hasn't been available for a long time. A hundred years ago, nobody used psychological language, just to be clear. A couple of professional psychologists, but the rest of the world hadn't even taken on. You know, we. If you read letters or books and people who speak about internal processes a hundred years ago, they did not use psychological language. They didn't speak of emotions or neuroses or traumas or things like that. They spoke in in other ways about internal experience. So we have to be prepared that the suttas also spoke in very different ways. Sometimes they use similes uh, and they take similes from the context of life uh, in which these teachings were given, which is an agrarian society. When I was a a very young monk um, in England, um, religious education just opened up for non-Christian religion and many, many religious teachers flocked to the monasteries and um, wanted monks to go to their RE classes. And um, there had some early publications about Buddhism. And I remember going to school one day and I looked at one of those publications. They were handed out to school kids. And it, it, uh, it summed up the first noble truth, uh, in unsatisfactoriness is woven in all dimensions of our experience, simply as all life is evil. Yeah? <laughs> and, and, and then... This was followed by uh, the famous tale of Bhikkhu Mahakasapa accepting alms food from a, a leper in the Theragatha. And while he receives alms food, uh, a piece of the limb of the finger of the, the leper drops into uh, the alms bowl. And uh, Venerable Mahakasapa says that he, at neither stage of this process, when eating his alms food, did he feel any um, revulsion. Uh, the, the story in the English religious education book made it sound like uh, Mark Passover ate the finger, uh, um, well, which um, I deem somewhat unlikely. But basically, it turned Buddhism into a life-denying uh, Indian form of uh, cannibalism. Yeah? <laughs> and you know, if you go in into into these teachings in such a way, obviously you turn them into jokes. Yeah? You turn them into jokes. So this needs some work from your side. This is not bedtime reading, as you will have noticed. And I'm I'm very happy to see uh, Bhikkhu Nalayya showing us, you know, parallel passages. This is rare, you know. You, you don't generally get that in meditation centers. People who are showing you parallel passages of uh, uh, readings in the Chinese recension. So please engage with this. Take this up and learn to discern what is my primary reaction. And what does this actually want to tell me? If you just stay on the level of your primary reaction, which has to do with your cultural conditioning, which has to do with your time, you know, your, this particular period in, in, in history, uh, which has to do with your preferences, then you will very li- gain very little from being exposed to these teachings. It's important to recognize one's own reactivity to texts. How animals are used, or you know the gender bias, which is inevitable in a in a patriarchal tradition, um, the the awkwardness in some of the formulation with anything that comes from a you know a distant language. If if you're just staying at that level and demanding that you're being entertained in terms easily understandable, uh, basically that this be good bedtime reading then you will be utterly disappointed and it will not really give you much. If you're willing to do the work and um, these Sutta teachings are are of a nature that you need to chew them for a while before they start to yield their juices. Unless you're willing to do that chewing um, all you get is your own reactiveness. You get your own conditioning. You get your own reading habits maybe or thinking habits. Um, So I'd request your uh, willingness to go into this a little deeper and uh, acknowledge your reactiveness and then try to actually understand what that might mean, what that wants to say. Yeah. I think this is a crucial. Um, I feel that the variety of, of queries regarding uh, body contemplation, and let me just try to straighten three things out. Yeah. Kayanupassana is the hugest section in all the Satipatthana forms. In all the forms I am aware of, the Kayanupassana segment is overwhelmingly the largest. Some of them only consist of that. So in there we have a number of things. You know, in the shortness of this period, not everything has been done equal justice. Only we have only just started, and obviously there are bits in there. So one bit in there which may be worth pointing out is. The notion of Iriyapatah, which means posture, orientation in space. It means developing an embodied sense of your energetic presence. What you bring to a cushion, what you bring to a standing, to a walking posture. And that the task in there is to help you identify and train the capacity to attend to somatic phenomena, sensations, body textures uh, and be able to stay there now this is not quite easy because our attention is geared um, and habituated to cognitive phenomena if we don't make a choice the habit will make that choice for us and we will generally think about things we will go on to an abstract level Uh, will be what I call channel four, and we will think about things. I'm a little frightened, I think about what frightens me, or about fear, or when I was also frightened, or who might help me now. When I'm feeling happy, I start to quickly lose the area where actually that happiness is somatically felt, and I start thinking about happiness. So I keep splitting off from a primary contact area into a secondary abstraction about which I then proliferate. So one of the first tasks of Kainupasana is learning to go back to the actual somatic experience of contact. Contacting sensation, contacting, um, Bhikkhu and Ali suggested this open awareness, a field awareness, not a fixation on a tiny spot at the tip of your nose, but actually the capacity to hold a field awareness of your whole somatic being as you sit, breathe and feel the energy movements in your body here yeah. so the task here is learning to uh, find somatic anchor for your attention that means feeling stuff it means experiencing stuff it means in investigating moving through the body not observing it from the top somewhere in a sort of dissociated way moving the body looking at the body down there from from uh, from cloud nine or from a sort of orbital position, but actually feeling, inhabiting the body and feeling this. That means knowing and feeling is the passage in the suttas. Sometimes our knowing means we stop the feeling, we go away from somewhere and we try to observe it from a safe distance. That is quite useful skill to be able to go to a safe distance, but as a habitual response, it's not useful. It's useful as an intervention strategy. When things are loud or or strong or flooding, if they're not, then just going to distance is not a good it's not a good strategy. It's better to actually go in and begin to inhabit and expand from inside, beginning to um, live in the embodied nature. The strange thing is the more we allow ourselves to feel, the less we are attached. Yeah. much of our attachment is not because we feel, but because we do not feel. Because we are resisting to actually feel what's taking place. We're highly biased. We want our bodies to feel comfortable. We want our bodies to feel good. We want our bodies to feel pleasant. And we're highly invested in getting that. We are obviously seeking with our attention these qualities. And if we have pain and discomfort, We are also attentive uh, because we can't help it. It hurts, so the attention goes there. But in between the pleasantness and in between the unpleasantness or pain, there's a huge segment we're highly disinterested in. Most of us, with all our um, interested in body, declared interested in sensuality and so forth, we're actually not very interested in most of our sensuality. We're only interested in small segments of it. The pleasant bit because we like it and the unpleasant bit because we can't help it. but actually learning to be with an embodied presence is quite a task. so that's the first job. Then the two exercises Equanalio uh, has introduced are exercises which are doing something slightly different. the yeah. Assuba practices they teach us both the composite nature of body. they challenge our perceptions. This is not about sensation. You cannot feel a liver. A liver doesn't have nerves to be felt. Even a sick liver you can't feel. So this is not about sensation. It's about perception. You're challenged to have differing perceptions of your body, dissolving the perception of solidity, dissolving the perception of meanness, dissolving the perception of attractiveness. So you're Challenging these perceptions by suggesting as an intervention technique a contemplation of 31 parts of the body if you follow the suttas or 32 if you follow the Visuddhimagga. So this is a perceptual exercise. Obviously you start off with a sensation. You feel skin. You feel flesh. You feel bones. This is quite possible to feel. But the work of the exercise is not in the feeling it's not in the refinement of your sensation of skin or refinement of you know, getting another of your 288 bones on your list. This is not. It's about the challenging perception of solidity, of meanness, of attractiveness, of coherency. The contemplation of elements has a different task. It... Um, starts to mix up internal and outer. It insists that uh, this organism is made up of elements. Now elements in this context is more, according to the use of the English, an element of surprise rather than an element, uh, you know, the periodic table of chemical elements. This is a different use. This is uh, the elements, as described in the, in the Sutta teachings, are how modes and in, in qualities in which we experience form, shape and materiality. They are not atomistic definitions of, of minute uh, uh, units of, of, uh, of, ex- of matter. You know? They are quite loosely termed. If you look at the imagery, in the suttas it's quite, uh, they're quite they're quite they 're quite loosely termed uh, so I would like to look at some of this and go go through uh, a number of of those elements and actually look at some practical examples before that i'd love to read you a short passage uh, it's famous for many of you um, Rahulovada uh, M62, and in this list there is five elements. You have heard most of this and I'm going to read you the space element because we uh, have not only brushed briefly the space element so far. So what, Rahula, is the space element? The space element may be either internal or external. What is the internal space element? Whatever internally belonging to oneself is space, spatial and clung to, that is, the holes of the ears, the nostrils, the door of the mouth, and the aperture whereby what is eaten, drunk, consumed and tasted gets swallowed, and where it collects and whereby it is excreted from below, or whatever else internally belonging to oneself is space, spatial and clung to. This is called the internal space element. Now both the internal space element and the external space element are simply space element. And that should be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom thus. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. When one sees it thus as it actually is with proper wisdom, one becomes disenchanted with the space element and makes mind dispassionate towards the space element. Then... The Buddha recommends a variety of practices. He, this passage here is repeated. Rahula, develop meditation that is like earth. I read you the passage about, uh, about space. Rahula, develop meditation that is like space. For when you develop meditation that is like space, arisen agreeable and disagreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain. Just as space is not established anywhere, so too, Rahula, develop meditation that is like space. For when you develop meditation that is like space, arisen, disagreeable and agreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain. I think since it is unusual to think of ourselves in terms of these elements, um, I uh, thought of going through them quickly and actually... Uh, describe to you. Um, I've I've made a little list and the list consists of a pattern. Um, I'm going to name the primary physical quality, I'm going to name how this is sensorially experienced, I'm going to name a possible question you could ask in regard to that element and I will give you some examples and then the last part of this list is what the sutta actually mentions under this heading. Uh, Like Bikvanalaya, I'm under the impression that the suttas' um, enumeration are not conclusive. These are examples rather than the entire complete list. So, for the earth element, patavidatum, primary physical quality is extension, it's uh, resistance, that is how it is experienced, it is solidity, and it is hardness, yeah, so... Think think of these elements. These are not what the world is or what the body is. These are statements about how material qualities are experienced. Yeah. So they are statements about a process of experience rather than about the nature of either the body or the world. This is an important difference there. Yeah. Questions we can ask. Regarding the earth element, is mm -hmm, where do I feel structure? Where do I feel solidity in the body? Where do I um, observe volume? Where do I observe mass? Example would be the extension of actually the volume of my body, the space it takes. Um, I could, um, that would be an example for extension. I could use, an uh, example would be my joints. They speak of a certain solidity. An example would be um, the density of certain areas of my body. The density of my uh, my neck feels more dense than uh, certain parts of my belly. So I could question the degree of density in my somatic experience. Those would be questions would help you connect with the earth element. Anything to do with resistance, anything to do with Uh, extension the water element primary physical quality is liquidity viscosity fluidity it's the factor of cohesion that things hang together Um, so in some way uh, liquidity also has to do with shape the fact that bodies have shape have to do with the saturation of our membranes our, our cells our textures with liquidity yeah? uh, turger I think is the technical term or uh, tumescence so how much li- liquids have saturated our body um, we can experience that sensorially as humidity as the liquids of the body as the flowing quality in, in bodily experience as the, uh, a sense of bodily coherence that we Experience ourselves in one piece, um, we can experience differing degrees of tone in our body. some people some parts seem to be more tonified than others, more limp, more flaccid than others, uh, more swollen, more uh, strongly present in, in, in our sensation um, questions we could ask would be, um, what parts of the body do feel liquid? Are there differing uh, degrees of saturation? Do I feel pressure in different parts of the body? Um, examples would be, say, belly, stomach, the bladder. Uh, the sutta speaks of bile, of uh, phlegm, of pus, of blood, of sweat, of tears, um, and a few more, yeah, oil of the joints, urine. Um, so, By the way, I forgot the sutta in the first example. The sutta for the earth element speaks very simply of hair, teeth, nails and bones. Fire element, primary physical quality is warmth, caloricity or combustion. This is important. Um, We experience that sensorially uh, as warmth or coldness. The difference in temperature, even coldness, is experienced by dint of our bodily temperature so we experience the contrast to our body temperature Um, we experience the fire element in terms of our digestive processes Uh, fire element is interesting it's that which makes us age Uh, it's uh it's that which gives us energy but it also that which combusts energy and it brings about the aging process as much as it brings about uh and the uh, digestive processes. Questions we could ask: um, Are there parts of the body that are particularly warm or particularly cold? How much vitality do I sense in my system? How is my digestive system working, for example? Do uh, where do I lose energy? Sometimes we feel, you know, it's kind of suddenly we feel we need to cover something because the energy goes away. Um, the Examples would be differing temperatures of the skin, say the hands and your legs, um, or the difference between the surface of the hand and the hand inside. Uh, we may connect with our, the phenomena of our uh, digestive processes. Uh, the Sutta describes uh, fire as that by which you are warmed, by which you age, by which is consumed what you are. Um, and that which has been eaten, drunk, consumed, tasted, uh, is being completely digested. That's the Sutta examples. The air element, biodatum, primary physical quality, motility, vibration, uh, oscillation, um, experienced sensorily as exchange, gaseous exchange, as in and out breathing, uh, Both motor and physiological movements of the body. Um, The uh, impact of the breathing pattern on organs. uh, The air in the belly and in your uh, intestines. Possible questions. Parts of the body that feel airy, that feel light. Um, Parts of your body that feel more permeable, that feel... Um, more porous examples the the rhythmical dilation of your chest uh, the up and down of your belly heartbeat parts of the body that are airy or um, fill yeah f- that feel sort of gaseous quality touch qualities that have to do with l- lightness and with uh uh Extension also, vayodato is the most motile, is the most um, uh, uh, the most fluid of of all the elements, and it is the least uh, the least bodily, the least solid. The Sutta speaks uh, clearly of anything that is wind, that is wind-like. Uh, as an object of identification, Uh, so it discreetly speaks of the winds rising up and the winds rising down, winds in the belly, winds in uh, the intestines, winds that go through our joints and it includes in-breathing and out-breathing. Finally, the space element, Arca is the last one, speaks primary physical quality, there isn't any, it's an inferred element. Yeah. It's inferred in the absence of other elements. Uh, it is sensorially experienced not directly but often as an alleviation, as a kind of ease that takes place, as, as a softening of some of the other elements, yeah. often the earth element. So when you feel a relief, when you feel something is widening, when you feel something softens that has been hard, or something that is less constricted, that has been constricted, then that would be an example of the space element uh, in, in the sensory space. If you want to ask questions, you could just ask after, you know, how constricted is something, how tight is something, how much space in there, am I breathing, how big is my breathing experience? Things like that. Um, the Sutta uh, speaks of Cavities and orifices as being the space element. Uh, the mouth, the nose, uh, the ears, stomach, anus are mentioned. Um, often the space element allows the recognition of the other elements and it brings about release from some uh, tightness, in the, particularly the Earth element. So uh, these would be examples, and uh, I hope they help you identify some of this. This is this is uh, not just happening in the suttas, this is actually happening right now for you, if you care to pay attention, and I hope some of this helps. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate.